Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And today we are going to be talking about... Uh, being married to somebody who isn't a believer. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea. We're really getting into that idea of like being equally yoked. Right. Um, but that's, that's a real fancy way of saying it (laughs) and maybe not so clear at times. It is and probably not super accurate. So. Right. Right. So, um, we're going to get to that on, you know, what that looks like, what scripture got to say about that. Uh, what does that mean for believers, uh, if they're in that scenario and, uh, we're going to get to that, but first we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident, that was not your fault. Listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. So the idea, yeah, that that uh, we're talking about here, and I think it's going to grow as we get into it, but uh, uh, we talked a little bit about what do you do when you are in a relationship with someone who does not share the same uh, depth or level of commitment that uh, you might have to the Lord. Ooh, and you know what? I like that you just said commitment. Um, because it would be really easy to fall into this weird rabbit hole of thinking uh, knowledge would yeah. be what we're talking about right. here. And that's not, not at all. It's not commitment. at all. Yeah. There, are, there are couples out there where they are both incredibly committed to God where one of them is the academic sort that wants to read yeah. everything and learn all these weird little facts. Like I like learning nerdy, weird little stuff, <laughs> but then like you may have the other where it's more of a, they just know this. Uh, it's a simple gospel. It's a simple faith, but they get it. They know what Christ is calling them to do. We kind of hit on that at, uh, when we, when we did the podcast on C.S. Lewis 
And uh, one of my Christmas gifts was uh, Christmas with C.S. Lewis. Yes. Was it awesome? It was incredible. One main show. But he mentioned uh, J.R. Tolkien and Hugo. And Hugo was the guy. He was a simple laborer. Uh, so here's C.S. Lewis, who is a fellow in Oxford or Cambridge or wherever he was, and just incredibly intelligent. And Hugo, who spoke one language, but his commitment to the Lord was super deep. And Lewis afterwards says, I learned so much from Hugo. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's kind of cool to see how like even uh, a man of a much oh simpler gosh, understanding yeah. of the faith than say maybe somebody at, you know Lewis is a genius he's on such a high level way yeah but that that this guy who is just this intellectual giant is learning from somebody that maybe isn't you know and and that's okay because he was learning commitment that he didn't have exactly yeah which is really what it's all about yeah i mean i i think if you had to you know hard press jesus and say what's more important me having a bunch of awesome head knowledge about (laughs) scripture or going and living what you've commanded me to do i think he's gonna say go live yeah go Go live live what i've called you to do i think he has a parable about that yeah (laughs) yep (laughs) one (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah. So <clears throat> with that said, um, we don't really know where we're going with this one. We just have a lot of good information that we want to share. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's maybe the best way to talk about it. Cause like this isn't going to be like a one size fits all episode. Cause right. everybody, I mean, relationships are messy. Relationships aren't like, Oh, here, if you just do this one thing, it'll fix everything. No, it's like, it's a lot of things happening yeah. all the time. There's a lot of small moving parts. Relationships are difficult because people are difficult. Um, but there are some basics that if we keep our eye on the ball, if we keep those things yeah. in mind, yeah. uh, it's more likely things are going to be moving in the right direction. And although we're probably going to talk quite a bit about marriage, this is not exclusively for married people. Dating? Uh, I mean, and even not close, only dating, close even friends. close friendships. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the people you surround yourself with, yeah. the people that influence you most, and the people that you pour into. Yeah. Cool. So, um, do you kind of want to get us started? Well, yeah, I uh, I went to Scripture, and I, I uh, racked my brain, and it's it's racked now, so <laughs> uh, I, I tried to think of the major passages that talk about being in a relationship with somebody uh, where uh, you might be at differing levels of commitment. And it occurred to me that before you even start at that level, it's really worthwhile to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 2, where uh, Genesis 1 God creates the world, and I think it's like eight times he comes out and he says, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. He makes light. Ooh, that's good. He makes uh, uh, dry land. He says, oh, that's good. Uh, he makes uh, fish and fowl. He makes 
domesticated animals and wild animals. Oh, that's good. Makes man and woman. And he says, oh, that's very good. Then he comes to chapter two and he says, it is not good. There's something in this creation that was not good. And what it was, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And that's when he created woman. But when he did it, he said, I need to create a helper for Adam. Um, and he repeats that. He says it twice there in Genesis 2. I need to make Adam a helper. Old translations call that a help meet. Uh, actually, he's just saying, I need to make a helper that would be similar to Adam. And he introduces Adam to all of the animals. Adam gives all the animals names. And it says there was no helper for Adam found in the animal kingdom. No equal. No equal. Yeah. So this word for helper, it only occurs 16 times in the Old Testament. This particular word. Twice here in this passage, three times it occurs in the prophets where, uh, let's see, it's Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel uh, that Israel gets help. They have a helper in other nations. The rest of the times, 11 times it refers to God. What God is saying in Genesis 2 is, I'm not always around. I come in the cool of the evening, I walk around, but Adam needs someone who will help him in my place. An earthly representative of God's yeah, position. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what God's intent was, he created a woman so that woman could kind of I want to be careful how I say this. Do the things that God would do with Adam. And Adam could do the things that God would do with Eve. Uh, they so, would be helpers so let me kind for of each other. Pull back here and try to make like maybe a big picture of what I feel like you're saying. Neither man nor woman is the complete picture of God. As far as like, let me say that a different way. Man brings certain aspects of God to the table yeah. here on earth. Yeah. Woman brings certain aspects of God to the table here on yeah. earth. And when you put them together, you get a better picture of God. Still not a perfect one, no. right? But point being, like, there are – God made man to be a certain way, woman to be a certain way. And when you put them together, they complement one another. Early church fathers went wild with this concept. They they uh, noticed that uh, woman is the only creation in which God takes an already created being and splits him in two. Wait, wait. Man? <laughs> yeah. He takes part of man to make woman. That's the only time he does it. He creates oh, uh, the yeah. bull and the cow from the dust of the field, the rooster and the hen from the dust of the field. But he creates woman 
from part of man. So he takes man, he splits him in two. Mm -hmm. So what the early church fathers said is that man and woman together are the complete being. Apart from each other, they're both incomplete. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's humanity as a whole, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's the picture you see, which, I mean, j yeah, I mean, is it not a similar, no, we're not going there. I'm not even going there. I'm not. <laughs> okay, in, yep. I won't even ask that. Yep, just continue, because it's it, it would be heretical. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point is, uh, man and woman are to be helps to each other. They're to stand where God would stand. They are to provide for each other in a way that would be similar to the way God provides for them. Yes. You know what? I've decided it's not heretical. I've just got to be careful with the way I say it. So I'm okay. going to go ahead and say it. You have the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God. But you can't have God without the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It takes all three of those persons to be the picture of God. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. And so is it really humanity if it's just man or is it really humanity if it's just woman? It takes the whole picture to see humanity. Actually, at the end of Genesis 2, Moses, who is now commenting on the creation of, of man and woman from man, says, and that's why when a couple comes together to marry, they leave father and mother. They leave two households. And they form a third thing. And together they become one flesh. Now that is not a reference to sex. That's not at all what he's talking about there. He's saying man and woman come together. They leave two many cultures. They leave uh, the the... Uh, Kelly culture and the Richard, uh, Rehart, but it's Rehart, okay. uh, culture. <laughs> they leave the Spate culture and the, and the Claire culture. Right. And they form something new, something different. They become one yeah. when they come together. Yeah. Yeah. You've made this new, this new clan. Yeah. That is kind of what's at the basis of being, quote-unquote, unequally yoked. What happens when you both don't share the same uh, playbook? You, you both don't share the same concepts. What's important to you and what's important to your spouse are two different things. The wider the difference the harder it is to actually become one flesh. You know, you've got me thinking about like history. Um, not trying to take this down a weird rabbit hole or anything, but how um, like so many kings and rulers throughout history saw marriages as political maneuver versus a, a, a godly thing to do versus something that, that man does to honor God. Right. And so, you know, you would have a King marry a, you know, princess or whatever of, of another kingdom just to seal a deal, just to seal yeah. a deal, just to 
maybe appease a foreign entity so that they're not your enemy anymore or to like make a truce between them or whatever. But like <coughs> how often, I mean, that's gotta be unequally yoked. Oh yeah. 90% yeah. of the time, right? Like yeah. you got two of these totally different cultures coming together to, so, I mean, we, we really <coughs> can see the implications of like, what that looks like at the worst of it, you yeah. know, throughout history. Um, the, the, the reality is Paul, uh, as he writes, we've talked about being unequally yoked. And the next place I was going to go was to that passage, second Corinthians six fourteen. Well, he is writing to a primarily Roman community. There were Jews in the church. The Jews in the church had the concept of marriage that comes from Genesis 2. Man and woman coming together and forming one flesh. That was not the Roman way. Marriages in Rome were primarily social transactions. Mm -hmm. It was a way to ensure... um, It's like celebrity culture. Kind of, or (laughs) or at least... Financial stability hmm. for your uh, daughter or or your son. It was marriages of convenience. In fact, when uh, the Greek scholars talked about marriage, I'm not sure that love is ever mentioned in any in any of the documents. Hmm. Uh, that was just not something. Uh, a man had his wife. And if he had a love, it was probably on the side. Um, that's why Corinthians, Corinth is so messed up and why you get so much of this, uh, talk there about, uh, uh, what, what, what is. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're playing a much looser playbook. Very much. What marriage is. And, yeah. 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 And Paul is trying to say to him, no, the Jews got it right here. Or actually, God got it right, and he is working through the Jews here. Right. Uh, your commitment to your wife is one that's based on love and respect and caring for and providing. And that was just not something that was typical in Roman households. So that passage, should we go there? Yeah, let's do it. Second Corinthians 6, if you start in verse 14, you actually need to read down through verse... 16. Oh. Uh, You can go to 18, but 17 and 18 just kind of rehash the same ideas. Paul starts off saying, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. He literally says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right. As in, and so back to that whole yoked concept, I just want to hash that out. That would be like connected to one another. Well, here's, here's the issue. This passage is not about marriage. Right. It's about relationships. Right, right. So it's true for marriage, because that's a relationship, but it's true also for friends, business partners, uh, and on and on and on. He goes on, don't be yoked together with those who don't believe. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? 
What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? In the passage, it's not about a husband and a wife. It's about two people in a relationship with each other, a relationship that requires more than just, hi, how you doing, and I'll go about my business. Whether this is business or a social contract like marriage or a a friendship, Paul's saying, be careful when you don't share the same playbook. It can get messy. Yeah, I mean, I think what what this is really pointing to is kind of that inner circle that everybody has. Like, who who are your informants? Who, yeah. Who is playing a part on the way you think and impacting you at the deepest level, whether that is friends, family, wife, husband? Yeah. Like, it, this, is, this isn't necessarily saying don't have anything to do with non-believers. I don't think that's... Definitely not. Because that would be counterintuitive to other biblical statements. Like, we're to go out and we are to love those who don't know Christ, but it's not that we let them play a role in our lives where they can speak lies into it, where they can get us off track, right? We don't go to them for counsel on what we need to be doing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Next passage that I thought of is this really strange passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by his believing wife. Yeah, that one's always been really interesting to me. Yeah, I kind of dug deep on that this morning and tried to figure out what was going what was uh, going on there again it occurs in a context so if you look at the whole chapter chapter 7 um first 7 verses is just a general discussion of marriage and conjugal rights then verses 8 and 9 paul says let me give some advice to those who are not married, stay as you are. 10 to 16, which is the passage here, um, what, l- l- let me just read it here. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. So there Paul is saying, Jesus taught about this. And here's a summary of what he taught. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. A husband should not divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, so this is now Paul's thought. It doesn't come straight from the command of Jesus. But I say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her also. If any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the unbeliever 
leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So his advice to married couples, stay as you are. Now let me finish the chapter and then come back to this. He goes on verses 17 to 24. He gives advice to Jews, Gentiles, and to slaves. To the Jew, he says, don't try to live like a Gentile. To the Gentiles, he says, don't be circumcised to become a Jew. To the slave, he actually says, stay as you are. To everybody, he says, stay as you are. Verses 25 to 38, he talks about those who are seeking marriage. And he says, stay as you are, if you can. But he does say, not everybody can. So go ahead and get married if you can't. And then finally, widows can remarry. But Paul says, but I think they should stay as they are. Now, all through the chapter, you get this uh, repeated phrase, stay as you are. Don't try to be something that you're not currently. Um, Paul was living at a time when he was convinced that the Lord Jesus was coming back immediately. And he's saying, don't encumber yourself with things that will distract you. Stay as you are. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense because I've thought about that a lot. Like why, why is he so, I should say, I've, I've thought about the fact that he brings that up with, um, with single people specifically. I've thought about with uh, that, with the fact that he says it to married couples, but I've always kind of chalked those two up to, you know, Paul said, he, he gives his reasoning for why you should stay single you know, he thinks you can commit your whole self that way. Right. Um, he gives his reasoning for the married couples where I, I think the reasoning there would fall under God's value of marriage. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the slave one, that one kind of throws yeah, me I, for a loop. Believe me, yeah. That one, but, when, but when you start seeing that he's got this overarching theme of stage you are, stage yeah. you are, stage yeah. you are, yeah. stage you are, it's kind of interesting. And yet – In the book of Philemon, when he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Paul says, receive him, take him back, but take him back as a brother. Don't take him as a slave. Free him. Right. Right. So, yeah, I I don't think it's really Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth. No. Talking to people in different contexts. And the context is so important here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good take. I like that. Um, To me, it seems like Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, which is a church that, if you read the book of Corinthians, you see how messed up they really were. And what Paul is saying is, don't jump to do things that you might regret later. Think about them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, something else too that I want to poke at there that you brought up is where you said, you know, uh, husbands stay with your wife if they're an unbeliever. Right. They'll be, uh, they're made they'll holy. They'll be made holy. They'll be sanctified. Right. Yeah. And vice versa. Right. Right. And it would be really easy to take that. And I, I have actually heard people kind of argue for this stance that like, because a husband is a believer that then they're, husband or wife is now like seen as a believer in the eyes of God in that way. But if you pair that with what it says directly after it says your husband may be saved because of you, your wife may be Maybe. saved. Exactly. Yeah. So this isn't like a, oh, you're hitting it. Yeah. You're right. This isn't like this stationary thing that just because you're saved now they're saved. No, it's because you're saved. If you are truly Living out this life of a sanctified life, like teaching the things of Christ, living the the life that Christ has called you to, speaking into their life, calling them to Christ, you will likely bring them to Christ because they'll see him in you, yeah. right? Yeah. But this isn't like a, oh, they just are saved because you're saved. Right. It's like you, right. have, a, you have a job now. I think you have hit it right on the head. So looking at this passage, here's my, my take on it. Um, Paul starts off saying, I give this command, uh, well, certain things he says, not I, but the Lord. And then he stops and he says, now, not the Lord, but I say this. What Paul is saying is I'm dealing with the question, and it's a question that he raises very directly. What do you do when a husband has an unbelieving wife, when a wife has an unbelieving husband? Jesus never talks about that. So Paul says, I don't have any direct commands from the Lord. But he does say, I think there are three things we need to keep in mind that definitely do come from the Lord. First, avoid divorce. Now he says this four times, verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. He says, don't divorce. That is not what God wants. Having said that, in this very passage, he says, but if you do, here's what you should do. Right. <laughs> Divorce is a reality. And I know that we're talking to people who have been divorced. There are listeners of this podcast who've been divorced. We're not condemning you. God doesn't want you to be in a situation where you would get divorced. But we live in a fallen world. And Divorce happens. happens. Right. Um, so what do we do? Do we just throw our hands in the air and say, well, you know, this life is shot? No. No, you don't. Um, there are things that we can do. If there is any way to do it, avoid it. There are mm -hmm. some cases in which I've told people, you need to leave. Uh, abusive situations. Get out. No, God would prefer you not to be divorced, but God would also prefer that you not be abused. So if it comes down to protecting your life or leaving, leave. Hmm. Get that divorce. Get out of the situation. We live in a fallen world. Divorce happens. So that's one thing. Given uh, the possibility, avoid divorce. 
the second thing that Paul says is what you just said. A life of faith is contagious. Hmm. Now, I'm not totally sure that Paul is saying a, a, uh, a believing husband sanctifies his wife. I think that's an expression of hope. I think it's Paul saying, if you live out your faith, your witness is going to have an impact. Do it successfully. Do it well. And you got a good chance of winning your husband. You got a good chance of winning your wife. That, that's the only thing that makes sense when you stack it against what he says after. What he says at the very end, wife, for all you know, you might. Save your husband. Not you will. Right. Not this is definitely going to happen. But if you live out your faith, uh, you give your husband a better chance of coming to, to know the Christ. Lord, yeah. to know Christ. And husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So avoid divorce. Try to keep that relationship alive. Secondly, Live out your faith. It's contagious. And thirdly, in the middle of this passage, he says, this is verse 15, God has called you to live in peace. The way to win your spouse is not by nagging them into the kingdom. It's by living in peace. Yeah. It's by doing the right things, uh, being consistent, but also being a peacemaker, uh, being the person that seeks to be a help, just like Adam and Eve were created to be a help for each other. Mm-hmm. Be that help. Yeah. Um, wh- where is it? Uh, is it Ephesians? Where it's the your husbands submit to your wives, wives submit That's to your husbands. One. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that that whole concept gets so blown out of proportion um, in certain groups that try to twist it to mean one thing or another. Um, it, it gets used in a very uh, pro-male way. I've heard oh, yeah. a lot, you know, in, oh, yeah. in certain circles. Um, but what's so funny to me is uh, in order to do that, you have to neglect like half the text because <laughs> – when you have you to read leave it, out the opening statement. Yeah. Exactly, because when you read it as a whole, it's all about both parties submitting to one another in sacrificial love. Yeah. Which is the only way forward. So let's go to that passage. Let's do Ephesians it. 5. You start in verse 21. Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. There you go. It's not unilateral. Submit to one another. Now, what does that look like? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing over the washing of water by the word, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. (coughs) 
In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. We're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis 2. He brings it back. passage about being a help to each other, about forming a new thing when you come together. Paul goes on, he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. It's interesting. You brought up the Trinity. Paul brings up the relationship between Christ and the church, and he says, do you want to know what the relationship between a man and a woman should be in marriage? Look at Christ and the church. What do he do for the church? What do he do for the church? He died for it. He gave his entire life. And and literally, not just <coughs> not just like his physical death, but like his day to day living sacrifice. He not only died for it, he lived for it. Right, right. <laughs> but that and that's something I think we have to get better at thinking about is your life is an act of sacrifice. Like the things you do. When you live sacrificially, meaning you don't live for you, you live for others, you live for God. Yes. That is an act of worship. That is that is a living sacrifice. Um, we're called to that every day. That's why Jesus says, come pick up your cross. He didn't mean everybody's going to go be a martyr. Yeah. But he meant your day-to-day is going to be your witness. That's going to be your martyrdom. That's going to be your sacrifice. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a mutual submission. Yeah. Where you are both trying to find the thing that helps your mate, your partner, your yeah. friend. You are both trying to do the things that they need before they even know that they need it. Hmm. I'm having a thought here. Hold on. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, at the end of that passage, the wife is to respect her husband. The word used here is actually fear. The wife is to fear her husband. But it's not the kind of fear of be afraid of your husband. It's the honor. It's respect. Uh, honor your husband. Husbands, love your wife. Give yourself for your wife. Provide care for your wife. And in all of this, he recalls Genesis 2. We're to leave, and then we're to, I I like the King James, we're to leave father and mother, and we're to cleave to each other. Uh, We form something new. Hmm. Did you find what you were looking for? Yes, I did. Um, Okay. So, Jesus is in the garden praying and he's praying. Um, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who've been given to him. Right. Um, some would say, you know, this is the elect uh, mm-hmm. do, do with that what you will. We're sure. not going there. Sure. Um, but he's talking about those who believe in him, those who believe in Very his message. So. And it gets to 1720, uh, John 17, 
20. Uh, and I'll just start reading. I'll, I don't know when I'll stop. We'll see. Uh, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, it's really interesting. Actually, he goes on. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That feels like very much like Genesis language to me, which is so interesting. It really that, does. That the church it? is, it's like human. Okay. Think of it this way. Earlier we said, you know, the Trinity is the whole picture of God, man yeah. and woman together are the whole picture of man. Now it's like man and woman, all the believers have come together. And that is the whole picture of humanity being married to the whole picture of God. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I like that, that, that unity marriage language, I guess why I'm bringing this up is you've been very clear that all this like equally yoked business is not just about marriage. It's about relationship. Right. That we're to be, I mean, and and that's why the same standard that applies among a husband and wife in the way that they are one. I mean, through Jesus's words here, seems that that's that applies also to the whole of the believers. Like yeah. we are to be one with one another. Yeah, right. Like th- this is deep. This is really deep, and I don't think we consider it that way. I think we look at it and we're like, well, me and my wife and my family, that comes first, and then the church. And it's like, well, Jesus is saying we're all one. Yeah, yeah. You can't really compartmentalize like that. Right, but we do. We do. And and Jesus obviously does not see it that way. Right. Which may be why Paul says, eh, it's easier if you don't get married because this is just going to make things hard. <laughs> things are, this is just going to get way confusing fast, you know? But, but like, we are committed to one another as believers, uh, much in the way that a husband or a wife is committed to their spouse. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. That is, that is. Huh. That's different. I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you want to go here, but I, I just, I just had written down a few concepts like risks. I guess I see in being unequally yoked with yeah. people. Some of these are maybe more relationship focused okay. or like like marriage focused. Okay. Um, others maybe not not as much. Um, so what do you have? I just I just had a few, but they seemed like just logical, real world applicational stuff. Um, but basically if you and your spouse, um, or your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, like whoever it is that you are committed to, whether you're married or not, even though the, the Bible would say that, you know, you should be married. Um, that if there is disunity among you on what you value most, like isn't that a huge issue that you oh, and this be. person that you want to be closest to in the world, that you are in disagreement on the most fundamental aspects of life? 
because like if you're if you're not equally yoked with Christ, like I mean, he he only cares about all the most important things, right? Yeah. Like right. so if you disagree on those, what why are you even together? I guess is my is my one big, you know, my, kind of my starter. So sorry, just starting as big right. as humanly sure, possible, sure, sure. I guess. Um Beyond that, this one's definitely more of a marriage one. Um, you know, if you're not unified on those beliefs, on mm-hmm. who God is, on Christ, right? Um, your children are most likely not going to be unified or it's going to be really hard to raise them up in the faith because now you're going to have this other person in this relationship who is every bit as important as you are in those kids' eyes saying something contradictory. So now you're risking the salvation of your children as well. Is that a fair take? It certainly seems so to me. Okay. Um, you risk being led away from Christ when you have people in your life that are your kind of closest confidant people, whether it be, you know, a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or just close friends. Um, if they are pouring into you unbiblical truths, like unbiblical, I shouldn't say unbiblical truths, like truths in quotation marks, but like fundamentals that are anti-biblical, um, that can definitely shape your worldview. Uh, I, I got this guy on Facebook that I see all the time that actually just kind of popped into my head just saying this just now, but, uh, raised in the church, his brother and family all in the church, um, now I see he has married, uh, somebody who is like big into like witchcraft and all sorts of stuff. Really? And, oh my goodness. But now I'm looking and like all, like the values they're talking about are just so anti everything he was raised on. And even like knowing him growing up and even just a few years ago, he, even then would have been like, oh yeah, this, this is how we have to be, you know? And now it's like, you've got this other person in your life that has now become like the centerpiece Wow! and they're pulling you away from everything you once held true. Um, that's not a uncommon occurrence. I'm not picking on him right now. That, that happens all the time. And this is why the Bible points this out to us. Um, and my last one is I think you just beca- you you risk being made less effective for the kingdom. Um Paul talks about sure. the fact that if you're married, marriage takes up a lot of time. His whole reasoning behind why somebody shouldn't be married <laughs> is because you have it it that's got to be a priority in your life now. And if you're worrying about making your marriage work all the time, well that's less time you get to focus right, on right. going and being there for the kingdom. Okay. That's a marriage where maybe both of those people are equally yoked believers that Paul is talking about. And he's True. saying you're less effective. How much more less effective are you <laughs> if that other person in the relationship doesn't even want to do anything with yeah. the kingdom, doesn't want you to have anything to do with the kingdom. They don't like it. You are going to be so much less useful for God if you're in that situation. And I'm not trying to like knock on people and like be mean or say like you're doing something bad if you do find yourself in this situation. Maybe it's where you're at and at this point there's nothing you can do about it. I'm not picking on you. But it's 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 just kind of a universal truth. It's just logical. If this is the situation you find yourself in, you are not going to be as effective. That's 
One of the things that, that uh, kind of stood out to me from 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul says, here's the ideal. Here's the ideal. Uh, ideal is that you would be equally yoked. Ideal is that uh, uh, you would not divorce. Ideal is, you know, that everything would be great. But if you're not, several times he says, but it, you shouldn't divorce. But if you do, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you should be married to a believer. But if you're married to an unbeliever, it's not the end. There are things that we can do and should do to move forward in that relationship. And I like that. I like that. I don't think that is Paul being wishy-washy. I think that's Paul being a realist. He's accepting the reality of things. Yeah, yeah. Randy, my parents were divorced before I was ever born. There you go. They were split for several years, and um, a, a, a mutual friend of the two of them, uh, he was actually heavily involved in like uh, Billy Graham's ministries at the time, okay. came to my dad and said, Al, you need to make things right. This is not how it's supposed to be. Wow! Um, and they were both single. They they, yeah. they neither yeah. wanted remarried or anything. Um, you, you know, once that happens, it gets a whole. You, oh the, yeah. The biblical command would be do not remarry right. if that has happened. But they hadn't. And uh, he came to my dad and he said, "You you need to go reconcile this." And they just basically befriended each other again, and started they all started all over. Wow. And now I'm born, and my sister's born, yeah, and yeah. they were married for thirty years, you know. But like that, um, that happens. And if if you find yourself in one of these messy situations, the like the non ideal situation doesn't mean the world's over. No, it means no, what's the next no. right move I make from here. And if you've divorced and remarried. That doesn't mean that you're no longer able to be a Christian. Uh, right. It, right. It just makes things messier, but, but that's life, life is messy. Yeah. yeah. Life's hard. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the, the Bible <laughs> is just trying to give us an idea of what God wants. That's not what always happens. Right. And then we just have to do the best we can from there. Yeah. To I do saw, his will. I saw a John Wayne quote. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um, I saw this while I was. Did he say the word his, pilgrim? No, he didn't. Okay, he, didn't, Sorry, he, didn't. he said, uh, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. <laughs> I don't know, I don't that, know that, what that applies. When you said life is hard, that's what immediately came to mind. So <laughs> this is what it's like to sit in our in our pastoral planning meetings. Oh my goodness. It's just pop culture references that don't <laughs> actually apply. But see John Wayne for me is pop culture. <laughs> oh man. The generational divide is real. It is. It is. But that's okay. I thought that a decent way to finish up here would be to talk about so so what do we do? What what are some keys to good relationships, to a good marriage, to a good friendship, uh, to, to good positive dating. Do what the Bible says. It's <laughs> um, <That's> good. <laughs> yeah. A good start. Well, is it a start? I mean, it's kind of just the, the way. Um, it's the start, middle and end. I really it? like Paul's 
view in Ephesians of submitting to one another. I mean, is that not what it is to live as a Christian? Yeah. yeah. To live sacrificially for the other person, whether they are your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friend or your enemy. We are to live sacrificially for the people around us. And if we do that, um, I, I think that that's a really good start. I think communication is, is key. And, uh, I believe that one of the main, uh, barriers to communication is, uh, screen time, uh, cell phones, computers, things that draw us away from each other that allow us to be much more focused on ourselves and what we're doing. For sure. So. For sure. Put your phone down, talk to each other. Yeah. Talk about things that matter and talk about things that don't matter. Yeah. I mean, mine and Abby's thing recently, um, we've been talking about a lot that we're, we're getting ready to move, uh, to a different house. And kind of with that, I think we're going to try to install a few new, uh, kind of rules for ourselves. But one that we've been wanting to do more is less TV, more reading. Yeah. Um, and, uh, for, you know, maybe less video games, less screen time, more like board games, more tactile things where we have to communicate and talk and like hang out. And you're doing it with each other. Exactly. Yep. Um, and so try, try to, try to think what you can do in that realm. I mean, go on a walk together, go, I I hate, I personally hate this one, but it's just because I don't like other people seeing me at my fattest, saddest moments. Um, but like some people like working out together. Um, (laughs) I, I personally don't want anybody to see me all huffy, puffy, (laughs) like angry mode. Uh, but that works for some people. I think respect and honor is another one. I've been around people when, uh, the husband insults the wife in front of other people or makes jokes about her or vice versa, the wife about the husband, man, that is just so cruel. Uh, we can't do that. We need to honor each other instead, which you got to be careful there too, because I do think there's like playful banter, like jokes, but like, then there's like mean, sharp, pointy statements. You know what I mean? Once you've been with someone for a while, you know what the buttons are. And that's it. You got to be careful. Stay away from the the buttons. Right. The the (laughs) one that Abby is constantly mad about me at and that I am so bad at stopping and it's going to get me in more and more trouble is she, I'm sorry, I'm telling everybody this on the air, but I'm doing it. Um, that she gets super weird about like condiments. Like if you have too much ketchup on something, like it legitimately makes her sick And I, since we started dating, thought that that had to be made up. Like, I did not believe her. It was the (laughs) stupidest, most make-believe thing I've ever heard. And so I rub that in way more than I should. But I've been really good lately. I've been trying to lay off that button because I get – it's one of those things where I always forget how mad she gets and then she gets mad. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, why do I always forget (laughs) that this actually upsets her? Uh, So, yeah, I mean, stay away from the hot buttons. Yeah, yeah. It's it's stupid. Don't do it. It life is hard. Life Don't be is stupid. Hard. That's right. <laughs> um, spend time with each other, and that I I when I when I was uh, first getting started, 
uh, there was a lot of talk about spending quality time with your kids. And I heard one guy talk about that. The, the idea was, okay, so you can't, can't spend a lot of time with your kids. So make those few minutes every day really count. And I heard somebody say, yeah, your kid needs quality time and they need a lot of it. So, uh, spend time, take time to be together, to really, truly be together. Yeah. Which I know has got to be hard for some people with crazy work schedules and stuff. Oh, but it like, is. It is. But you got to make the time. Do what you can, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's what it really boils down to. Personally, I think laughter is very important. For sure. Not laughing at the other person, but laughing with the other person. Just finding things that you enjoy and doing it together. And then going back to Genesis 2. Find the thing that your partner, whether that's a friend or a spouse or a, or a business colleague, find what they need. Hmm. Provide that for them. Yeah. Be which, a help. Which is rooted in listening. Yeah. Because you're never going to know what they need if you're not actually listening. That's right. Yeah. And we're really bad at that as human beings. Oh, we Especially are. Especially here horrible. in the West where yeah. we're, like you said, attached to our Phones, screens, screens, twenty four seven. You know, like actually listen, and it's it's hard, but you got to work at it, everybody. The one big word that we didn't use is the word love, because I think we say love, and it means very little to us, or it means something different to us. To me, love means communicate, respect, honor, laugh, spend time, serve, help. Yeah. It's all of that together. If we do that, if it's, I can do that, I'm loving. It's giving up for the good of the other person. Yes. Right? Because yes. like to take time to listen, that means I have to stop thinking about or doing whatever I'm doing so I can listen to you. I to, need to stop talking about myself. <laughs> right. And listen to what you're saying. Yeah. The yeah. way I like to talk about it, I, I like to say uh, be interested, not interesting. Yes. Well, or be interested before you are interesting. Like right. make it them first, you know, yeah. and, and get yeah. that mindset. We need an others first mentality. We've got to develop that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like we said, look, this isn't a one size fits all thing. This isn't even like a, I don't know, pr- probably wouldn't even call this like a deep dive on being equally yoked and, and marriage and all that. But it is a good idea to just remind ourselves of what, relationships should look like and how we can best uh, pick who to be close to and how we can treat other people. Yeah. And we, I mean, this is one of those things that we could really just keep coming back to over and over again in our lives because we're never all that good at it. <laughs> no, <Nope. Nope. laughs> but we're trying, we got to keep trying to be, uh, we got to love others. Well, that's what it's all about. Uh, y'all thanks for listening. We are super grateful for you, and uh, we hope that you've had an awesome uh, Christmas and New Year, all that good stuff. Um, please go check us out. Our our website is saltysaintspodcast.com. Uh, you can also check out our partners over at lifeaudio.com, all sorts of fun podcasts over there for you, uh, all about the Christian walk and Bible study. And um, until next time, stay salty. Rejoice always. 
pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward him in good times and bad to listen to more abide Christian meditations just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for abide Christian meditation You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.